Letter sixteen of Clarissa Harlowe, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Clarissa Harlowe, Volume two, by Samuel Richardson. Letter sixteen. Miss Clarissa Harlowe to Miss Howe, Monday morning, March twenty seventh. This morning early, my uncle Harlowe came hither. He sent up the enclosed very tender letter. It has made me wish I could oblige him. You will see how Mr. Solmes's ill qualities are glossed over in it. What blemishes does affection hide? But perhaps they may say to me, What faults does antipathy bring to light? Be pleased to send me back this letter of my uncle by the first return. Sunday night, or rather, Monday morning. I must answer you, though against my own resolution. Everybody loves you, and you know they do. The very ground you walk upon is dear to most of us. But how can we resolve to see you? There is no standing against your looks and language. It is our loves makes us decline to see you. How can we, when you are resolved not to do, what we are resolved you shall do? I never, for my part, loved any creature, as I loved you from your infancy till now. And indeed, as I have often said, never was there a young creature so deserving of our love. But what is come to you now? Alas, alas, my dear kinswoman, how you fail in the trial! I have read the letters you enclosed. At a proper time I may shew them to my brother and sister, but they will receive nothing from you at present. For my part, I could not read your letter to me without being unmanned. How can you be so unmoved yourself, yet so able to move everybody else? How could you send such a letter to Mr. Solmes? Fie upon you! How strangely are you altered! then to treat your brother and sister as you did, that they don't care to write to you or to see you? Don't you know where it is written, that soft answers turn away wrath? But if you will trust to your sharp-pointed wit, you may wound. Yet a club will beat down a sword. And how can you expect that they who are hurt by you will not hurt you again? Was this the way you used to take, to make us all adore you as we did? No, it was your gentleness of heart and manners, that made everybody, even strangers, at first sight, treat you as a lady, and call you a lady, though not born one, while your elder sister had no such distinctions paid her. If you were envied, why should you sharpen envy, and file up its teeth to an edge? You see I write like an impartial man, and as one that loves you still. But since you have displayed your talents, and spared nobody, and moved everybody, without being moved, you have but made us stand the closer and firmer together. This is what I liken to an embattled phalanx once before. Your Aunt Harvey forbids your writing, for the same reason that I must not countenance it. We are all afraid to see you, because we know we shall be made as so many fools. Nay, your mother is so afraid of you, that once or twice, when she thought you were coming to force yourself into her presence, she shut the door and locked herself in, because she knew she must not see you upon your terms, and you are resolved you will not see her upon hers. Resolve but to oblige us all, my dearest Miss Clary, and you shall see how we will clasp you every one by turns, to our rejoicing hearts. If the one man has not the wit, and the parts, and the person of the other, no one breathing has a worse heart than that other, and is not the love of all your friends, and a sober man, if he be not so polished, to be preferred to a debauchee, though ever so fine a man to look at? You have such talents that you will be adored by the one, but the other has as much advantage in those respects as you have yourself, and will not set by them one straw, for husbands are sometimes jealous of the authority with witty wives. 
you will have in one a man of virtue. Had you not been so rudely affronting to him, he would have made your ears tingle with what he could have told you of the other. Come, my dear niece, let me have the honour of doing with you what nobody else yet has been able to do. Your father, mother, and I will divide the pleasure and the honour, I will again call it, between us, and all past offences shall be forgiven, and Mr. Solmes, we will engage, shall take nothing amiss hereafter of what has passed. He knows, he says, what a jewel that man will have, who can obtain your favour, and he will think light of all he has suffered, or shall suffer, in obtaining you. Dear, sweet creature, oblige us, and oblige us with a grace. It must be done, whether with a grace or not. I do assure you it must. You must not conquer father, mother, uncles, everybody. Depend upon that. I have set up half the night to write this. You do not know how I am touched at reading yours and writing this, yet will I be at Harlow Place early in the morning. So, upon reading this, if you will oblige us all, send me word to come up to your apartment, and I will lead you down and present you to the embraces of every one, and you will then see, you have more of a brother and sister in them both than of late your prejudices will let you think you have. This from one who used to love to style himself your paternal uncle, John Harlowe. In about an hour after this kind letter was given me, my uncle sent up to know if he should be a welcome visitor upon the terms mentioned in his letter. He bid Betty bring him down a verbal answer. A written one, he said, would be a bad sign, and he bid her therefore not to bring a letter. But I had just finished the enclosed transcription of one I had been writing. She made a difficulty to carry it, but was prevailed upon to oblige me by a token which these Mrs. Betty's cannot withstand. Dear and honoured sir, how you rejoice me by your condescending goodness! So kind, so paternal a letter, so soothing to a wounded heart, and of late what I have been so little used to! How am I affected with it? Tell me not, dear sir, of my way of writing. Your letter has more moved me than I have been able to move anybody. It has made me wish with all my heart that I could entitle myself to be visited upon your own terms, and to be led down to my father and mother, by so good and so kind an uncle. I will tell you, dearest uncle, what I will do to make my peace. I have no doubt that Mr. Solmes, upon consideration, would greatly prefer my sister to such a strange, averse creature as me. His chief, or one of his chief motives in his address to me, is, as I have reason to believe, the contiguity of my grandfather's estate to his own. I will resign it, for ever I will resign it, and the resignation must be good, because I will never marry at all. I will make it over to my sister and her heirs for ever. I shall have no heirs but my brother and her, and I will receive, as of my father's bounty, such an annuity, not in lieu of the estate, but as of his bounty, as he shall be pleased to grant me, if it be ever so small, and whenever I disoblige him, he to withdraw it, at his pleasure. Will this not be accepted? Surely it must. Surely it will. I beg of you, dearest sir, to propose it, and second it with your interest. This will answer every end. My sister has a high opinion of Mr. Solmes. I never can have any in the light he is proposed to me. But as my sister's husband, he will be always entitled to my respect, and shall have it. If this be accepted, grant me, sir, the honour of a visit, and do me then the inexpressible pleasure of leading me down to the feet of my honoured parents, and they shall find me the most dutiful of children, and to the arms of my brother and sister, and they shall find me the most obliging and most affectionate of sisters. I wait, sir, for your answer to this proposal, made with the whole heart of your dutiful and most obliged niece, Clarissa Harlowe. Monday noon.
I hope this will be accepted, for Betty tells me that my uncle Antony and my aunt Harvey are sent for, and not Mr. Solmes, which I look upon as a favourable circumstance. With what cheerfulness will I assign over this envied estate? What a much more valuable consideration shall I part with it for? The love and favour of all my relations? That love and favour which I used for eighteen years together to rejoice in, and be distinguished by? And what a charming pretence will this afford me of breaking with Mr. Lovelace? and how easily will it possibly make him to part with me. I found this morning in the usual place a letter from him, in answer, I suppose, to mine of Friday, which I deposited not till Saturday. But I have not opened it, nor will I, till I see what effect this new offer will have. Let me but be permitted to avoid the man I hate, and I will give up with cheerfulness the man I could prefer. To renounce the one, were I really to value him as much as you seem to imagine, can give but a temporary concern, which time and discretion will alleviate. This is a sacrifice which a child owes to parents and friends, if they insist upon its being made. But the other, to marry a man one cannot endure, is not only a dishonest thing as to the man, but it is enough to make a creature who wishes to be a good wife a bad or indifferent one, as I once wrote to the man himself, and then she can hardly be either a good mistress or a good friend, or anything but a discredit to her family and a bad example to all around her. Methinks I am loath, in the suspense I am in at present, to deposit this, because it will be leaving you in one as great. But having been prevented by Betty's officiousness twice, I will now go down to my little poultry, and, if I have an opportunity, will leave it in the usual place, where I hope to find something from you. End of Letter 16